0: We live in this age of extraordinary kind of excess leading to extraordinary inequality. And yet what we often see is that in a moment where the kind of idea of endlessly more is there for us, we don't see people moving into joy and freedom from it, but rather often see people moving into anxiety as a kind of globalized version of Gertrude, Richard Raw. Uh, writes about the Western world being affected by a disease that he calls affluenza, to the the need to kind of essentially always have more, becoming something which ends up being kind of toxic to our souls. On the other hand of this, we have the cost of living crisis, which i am informed that millennials are now calling the cosy lives. Anyone come come across that? The cosy lives? No, that's not. Well, yeah, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. I increasingly feel like my dad sounds when he says words that I used to use. Um, so I don't know when that happened, but somehow it has happened. But actually, like cost of living crisis, the the, the cost of food is ridiculous. I found myself going into Aldi recently and feeling like this feels quite expensive. Um, electricity and gas prices are nuts. Interest rates, hiking again, and mortgages for people is causing genuinely terrifying pressure for so many people. Poverty in the UK, Joseph Rantry's Foundation annual poverty report said that around 13.4 million people were living in the UK in poverty in 2020 to 2021. That includes 9% of all children, 9%. Food bank numbers are soaring, um, increased by a million in the six-year six year period from 2016 onwards. And yeah, we all know the stories of professions, uh, professional people needing to use food banks, etc. now. We are in a moment where there's been a theme and a narrative of endlessly buying more. And yet on the other hand, so many of us are living in the reality of feeling squeezed and pinched and like we're not quite sure if we're going to get to the month without going into our overdraft again. Somewhere in this, we're going to look at what is the way of Jesus and what does he want to speak to us into this moment. Between the narratives of the world, between the fear and anxieties that are caused, for many of us, The anxiety, I think, is not always with having too much, but more simply how we get food on the table within the different competing anxieties of the world. What is Jesus going to say to us? Rick Warren wrote these words. Money has the greatest potential to replace God in your life. More people are sidetracked from serving um, materialism than by anything else. When Jesus is your master, money serves you. But if money is your master, you become its slave. This was a big deal for Jesus. He talked about money more than anything else apart from the kingdom of God. He knew that it went somehow to very deep and influential parts of our hearts and that to be a free people who inhabit the ways of the kingdom and who get close to the heart of the Father, our relationship with money is going to be essential. We've got to get this right because somewhere between the endless affluenza desire for more and the endless fear of lack, Jesus has a word to bring in that helps us to live with freedom and perspective and generosity and distinction from the world around us so if you've got a bible with you do open it with me we're going to have a look at Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to have a look at a passage where Jesus teaches into wealth and anxiety and poverty Um, and we're going to pull out some things that he may just be saying to us right now so from Matthew chapter 6 we're going to read from verse 19 it's also going to be up on the screen Jesus is teaching on a mountainside. His disciples are around him, and he's sitting down, teaching them the ways of the kingdom. And he says these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, That word can also mean a single focus. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is a day for its own trouble. In the past few weeks, we've been um, looking at the theme of idolatry. Um, Essentially the idea that there are things that often come into our hearts that we kind of make more ultimate or essential to our happiness and well-being than God. Um, things that replace him in terms of our perspective, and what do we really need in our life. Theologian Tom Wright says that the three most maybe famous of these idols are money, sex, and power. Jesus here kind of goes to the heart of this, the heart of the idolatry of money, of stuff. And it's interesting how he does it, because he seems to kind of go off in two different directions. Verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, I.e., if you're getting lots of things, do not lay up for yourself treasures. He seems to want to take us into the experience of having plenty. And he wants to speak into that moment of affluenza and stuff. But then a few verses later in verse 25, he says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. He goes into an experience of poverty when you're thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to have a shirt to put on my back or what I'm going to eat today. And somewhere between these two things, he wants to give a teaching on money that looks different. And I think what he wants to do is to identify that in both of those places, in the obsession with stuff, and in the anxiety of not having stuff, the same idol is present. That both in the endless yearning for more, and in the total fear of lack, there's this unnatural and unhealthy fixation on money as the solution to the problem. And he wants to point them to something different different. In verse 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's fascinating, isn't it? You can think about it almost more easily in terms of the person who's got loads. It looks like they're serving money. But it's fascinating that he also goes into the moment where you have nothing or you are not sure where your next meal is coming from. And so you can still be enslaved to money in that very place. Your anxiety is showing something of your heart. Your anxiety is fixating on what you you do not have just as much as your anxiety might be fixating on what you do have. Jesus says that in both of those places, your idol can be money, and he wants us to walk a different way. John Tyson, in his book, Beautiful Resistance, says this, If you worship money and things, you will never have enough, whether you have loads or whether you have nothing. If you worship beauty and sexual allure, you will feel ugly. If you worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. If you worship intelligence, you will end up feeling stupid. Idols don't work. And when they become our fixation and our focus, it leads to anxiety of heart and emptiness. So what does Jesus say to us? (laughs) What does he say to us? So simple. He says these words, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, writes his entire chapter on simplicity around those words. Simply this, seek first the kingdom. In everything you do, seek first the kingdom. In your work, seek first the kingdom. In your use of stuff, seek first the kingdom. In your money, seek first the kingdom. In your relationships, seek first the kingdom. In all things, it begins with that simple place. Seek first the kingdom in everything. But today I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Because there's, uh, there's something in the heart behind what we've named here. There's something which goes deeper that I just think the Father wants to just dig into with us and do some actually healing work in that place because jesus teaching on money doesn't just sit on the surface of well there's a problem here around idolatry with money in many ways we know that anyway but rather he wants to go into what's the heart of the solution what's happening within the soul of the person who has his anxiety who has his obsession with more with this fear of lack what's happening in their heart and he starts speaking to the people about birds and lilies Birds and lilies. Look at the birds, he says. They've got enough food because your father provides for them. Look at the lilies. You worry about what you will wear. You are anxious that you won't have enough or the right quality or the right clothing that people will be impressed by you or whatever it is. But look at the flowers of the field. Your father clothes them. I think what Jesus wants to do in these words is he wants to illustrate to the people that the solution to their problem is not just having the right amount of money in the middle, but rather it is a deeper knowledge of the love of the Father. The person who is free in the area of money is not the person who has loads or the person who has nothing. The person who is free is a person who is so deeply immersed in the reality of the Father's good love for us that actually the metrics of our bank account are not the thing that defines our sense of reality. We can have nothing. And know that we have everything because we have him. We can have everything and know that actually it's just a tool for his kingdom because it's not where our joy and our freedom is, because he is. The free person knows that they know that they know, that he cares and is attentive to them, that he will clothe them better than the lilies of the valley, and that he will will feed them, that they will have all they need because, not because they have fantastic amounts of money in the bank, but because they have a good father. The root of sin. Ignatius of Loyola said, is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. I think sometimes we forget this when it comes to money. <laughs> we think maybe he wants me to be poor so I will you know, not get obsessed with being rich. Um, maybe he wants me to be rich because it's a sign of God's blessing. Neither of those things is true to the way of Jesus. Rather, He's looking to restore a people who, in plenty or in lack, are so immersed in the knowledge of his goodness that they live with freedom that is untouchable by circumstance. So my question then for this is, well, if this is all rooted in how, like, how do we trust the goodness of the Father, Like, how do we grow trust? It's all very well to say we need to trust God more, but I don't know about you, but... I don't feel very good at just conjuring that up. I can't like kind of squeeze out more trust from my heart somehow by trying harder. What do we need to do to grow the place of trust within us? I think Jesus gives us a fascinating clue in verse 21. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a lot of us kind of tend to look at these things a little bit the other way around. We kind of think a little bit more where my heart is, there I'll put my treasure, right? If I'm obsessed with football, I'm going to invest a lot of my money in football. If I love food, I'm going to be in restaurants all the time. I do love food. <laughs> I'm not in restaurants all the time, actually, but I, do. <laughs> I certainly do spend a lot of time eating and I love cooking. If we love something, often we, just, we invest our treasure towards our ends. But Jesus says it the other way around. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Rather than your treasure will follow the heart, he says, actually, your heart is going to follow the treasure. What we do with our stuff and what we do with our money has a genuine impact on the direction of our heart. Robert Morris put it like this, your treasure doesn't follow your heart, rather your heart follows your treasure. Richard Foster, unpacking this, says that when it comes to simplicity, it's not enough to simply think about how do I steward an inside sense of simplicity. Rather, you have to do active things on the outside of your life which shape your heart towards that simplicity. Even before you feel the simplicity, even before you feel the one direction, you choose to align your actions and your external life with the single direction, and that's where your heart then starts to follow. The inner reality, he said, is not a reality until there is an outward expression. We have to do external things to move the inward direction. I think this brings us kind of to the heart of where I think we want to go today. We're really trying to tie some things together as to how they work in church and how they work in discipleship and come into actually what can feel like quite a sensitive area of money, particularly at the moment for so many of us, particularly at the moment. So often when we think about money, we're, we're driven by what we think the need is, what we think our personal need is, or what the need of our family is, or what we think the need of a charity is, or the church might be. But actually, I think in these words, we're finding something a little bit different. To be a people who move more deeply into the knowledge of the Father's love, we need to be a people who are sowing our treasure in that direction. This isn't a, this isn't a command to... Become, become poor or miserable or frugal in our ways. Rather, this is an invitation to move away from the anxieties of lack or the obsession with more and to move into the freedom of knowing that you are loved where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to look at just a few ideas in the Bible that unpack this. And then we're going to land just um, just kind of resting on that knowledge and seeing what the Father might want to do with it in each of us. Three ideas I'm going to name really quickly. Two of them appear in the Old Testament and kind of relate to each other. The first um, is the idea of first fruits. Um, When we talk about giving in the New Testament context, often we, um, we think about, okay, so we'll hear about a charity, we'll hear about a church vision, we'll hear about struggling finances, and then we'll give to plug a need. But actually in the Old Testament, giving was often deeply rather connected with worship. It wasn't so much driven by what is the need. It was driven by what's the position of your heart. It was driven by which way is your life pointing. And the, the, the Feast of First Fruits was a annual festival for the people. And they had it every year at the beginning of the harvest. And what they would do is they would bring the first thing that had been that had been harvested from their fields and they'd bring it to the temple. The priest would wave it before the Lord. And it shows us something that I just think God wanted to get into within our hearts. We've got to remember this is a farming society. And um, for the people to bring the first is actually quite a risk because you don't know what's going to come after that. You don't know if actually this is going to be a significant part of your crops. <laughs> you don't know how much it's going to be after that. But the Lord asks them, bring the first fruits before you know what else is going to be there. The first thing you do is you bring something to the Lord. This doesn't come out of your excess or your surplus or your leftovers, but rather if you want to align your heart in worship to his ways. You begin by saying, What's first? Firstly, I want to bring something to the Lord. My first fruits come towards Him. That's the festival that becomes the Feast of Pentecost later on. Giving first is a training in trust. Secondly, tithing. Um, this comes up in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. Um, it's the idea of bringing a percentage of what the Lord has given to you. Um, normally, 10% in the scriptures. Um, And it's been historically common for Christians to live this way. Tim Keller calls 10% tithing a a generally accepted minimum standard, as he suggests it, for Christians. For some of us, 10% is where it starts. Um, I've heard of people who give 90% of their income away. The point, though, is not really the percentage. The point is not really the percentage. The point is the heart behind it. Deuteronomy 12, verse 6 says, Bring your tithes. It's interesting language, bring your tithes. Not give your tithes, but bring your tithes. The the sense that you get in the theology and the ideas around tithing in the Old Testament is not that you are kind of dividing up all of your stuff and then you're chopping off a little section of it and then giving it back to God. Rather, that would be giving God something that belonged to you. But when you bring something to Him, you're bringing Him something that was already His anyway. Rather than saying, like, 90% of this is mine and 10% can belong to God, you're saying, actually, this is an expression that my everything belongs to God. <laughs> As an expression of that worship, I'm going to give him this, this 10% or more if we feel called into it. The, the image that's given in the Old Testament is of actually everything has come from him. Everything is a good gift from him. And so this comes out of our place of worship of saying we want to be devoted to him in all of our things. We want to be devoted to him in everything. And what we do in terms of tithing is an expression of it's all yours anyway. David said in 1 Chronicles 29, everything comes from you, God, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Now when we bring this together and um, collide this with our own kind of finances and questions, We've got to just have a little think about, okay, what's the Father inviting us into here? And we've got to name a few things. The first thing is that there is no legalism on this. Everything is invitation. Um, This stuff can get really, particularly when you start talking about numbers (laughs) and percentages, you can start thinking, well, okay, God requires me to do something in order to gain favor from." me. That's not true at all. He doesn't do that at all. God isn't asking you to line up your bank account in the right way so he'll be pleased with you. Rather, he will be consistently inviting each of us to line up all of our lives in his direction to set us free. Our question, I think, today is, in our finances, are there ways that he wants to lead us more deeply into knowing his love and his trust and his goodness, that the only way we can get there is through financial giving? I think... um, Sometimes there's a kind of principle in Christianity, actually in life in general, that if you're feeling something in your soul, the best way of changing it is to run headlong in the other direction. If you have a fear of public speaking, sometimes the best thing to do is to start public speaking. If you are feeling really angry with your housemate, sometimes the best thing to do is to make them a cup of tea. And sometimes when you're feeling anxiety or obsession with your finances, the most freeing thing of your heart is to say, you know what? I'm going to give something away. I'm going to give something away. I'm going to go in the opposite direction because within that movement, God might free something within me. Giving can operate like that. It is the rejection of the fear of lack and the obsession with more. It is moving in the contrary spirit to what our fear would point in. It is a place where the Father looks to realign the things of our hearts because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. The Father is so deeply desirous to restore the hearts of his people. He's not particularly interested in our amounts of money. The world is his. He doesn't need it. (laughs) He doesn't need our money. But he is so passionate to steward your hearts into the way of freedom and fullness. And when we live in the ways of anxiety and fear of lack, he's saying, I want to set you free there may be something that you need to do that's distinct and different in your ways of giving, which actually is a place where he wants to bring holy freedom and healing to us. For me, a practice that's been really helpful with this has been simply first fruits and tithing, beginning of every month, just to say 10% standard goes. Has this been hard? Yeah, sometimes it's been really hard. Has it been costly? For sure. But actually... It's created a space for the miraculous that has sometimes just been so beautiful to watch. When we're giving and when we're in that place of like actually not necessarily knowing how we're going to get through the month, it's incredible how the stories start to emerge of the Lord provided, the envelope that came through the door, or getting down to that last pound of money that you have and suddenly the next provision arrives. It's extraordinary how the Lord so consistently looks to provide for his people, and how much more deeply you see his love and his kindness when you go to that place. As a student, um, students, this is a tricky one for you guys, right? Because you're like, we're not earning anything. A um, few of you are, a few of you got jobs. But actually, when you're living off a loan, there's questions about what does this look like? The way, the way I play this, and I was a guy who had a lot of fears about money. Um, I was notoriously frugal amongst my friends. I used to force our... Um, housemates, the shop, and the most frugal. We used to have like um, diced turkey thigh was the only meat because we shared all our food. And I'd be like, you can't have chicken. You can only have diced th- turkey thigh, these poor people. Anyway, so we had a lot of chicken tonight sauce with diced turkey thigh. They hated me for it. But I actually, I felt like frequently in worship, the Lord started to ask me, I want you to tip what's in your wallet into the collection plate. We actually used to carry cash in those days. Um, I didn't throw my credit card in or, you know. Something happened where I started to feel more free. The thing about this is, it genuinely works. It's not about being religiously impressive, it's not about God needs our money, but actually, something happens in the frugal and fearful parts of us that just starts to warm to the knowledge of, you know what, He's so good. And it's so hard to find it and to experience it when we retain control of everything. And when we live protecting and fearful, and I've got to keep this to myself because if I don't, I won't have enough. When we live in that and we inhabit that place of there won't be enough, it's so difficult for him to show us. Move in a different spirit. Relax and release. I want to look after you, I want to bless you, and I want you to see that I will come through for you. The only place in the scriptures where it says to test God is around tithes and offerings. Test me, he says, and you will see if I do not fill your storehouses full to overflowing. Knowing God's heart is always the greater treasure. It's always the greater treasure than the money in our bank account, the stuff that we have or anything. To be saying, Lord, consistently, consistently, I am after your heart. The third thing, just briefly to touch on, and we just need to name, is that it's not just about what we give, but it's also about who we are together. Community is a beautiful place where we actually just learn to do finances together. And actually, when we look at the early church, giving was not simply just something which was individualistically chosen from different households, but rather there was a sense in which people just had something in common between them. They had everything in common between them. They looked out for the needs of each other's. I had a story um, from a a guy I know not too long ago, and um, he was on the the phone to a really good friend, and the friend was saying that he had quite a significant financial need, massive financial need, a four-figure financial need, and um, he didn't know what to do about it. And the, The guy I know was on the phone, and he was listening, and as he was listening, he looked out the window, and he saw the postman arrive. The postman came, put something through the letterbox, and went on. When he put the phone down, he went down the stairs, opened the envelope that had come through, and there was a tax rebate in that of a four-figure sum. He thought, how beautiful. And so he sent the money to the person who had the need. It was a stunning just way of just God just provides, sometimes not directly to us, but sometimes through each other. He loves us to be the kind of community that reflects his heart. And doing this together is so, so important. We're coming to the end. But I think where I want to land this is, is really here. I, I think so often there's kind of an awkwardness, isn't there, when it comes to money. The giving talk at church is always awkward. Anyone else felt that? <laughs> and it feels awkward because it feels like there's a need. Please give to it and then everything will be okay. You know what? I think that the Lord is so deeply, deeply desiring something deeper from us. He is not needing a people who will just give in to an institu- institution to keep the mechanics turning of it. He's looking for a people with devotion of heart who say, above all else, we want to be a people who invest in the knowledge of his goodness, of a, to be a people who are set free in the knowledge that he is good. And how do we get there if our treasure is not there? If our treasure is constantly in our stuff and our bank accounts and our fears and our anxieties, how do we move more deeply into knowledge of? But he is so good. For where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. The Lord is deeply longing, yearning to restore the heart of his church. Purity, simplicity, devoted towards him. Why? Because he wants to set us free. (laughs) Because he's so kind. Because he wants us to know, he wants you to know, that he does come through for his people and he always will. Because when we say God provides, it is not simply something flippant but rather it is an attestation of his character that is unshakable. Does it mean you'll be wealthy? Not necessarily. Does it mean that you will be poor? Not necessarily. Paul said, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to lack. But I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. He would found something so beautiful in the heart of the Father that he didn't need the circumstances to be financially comfortable, to be content in all circumstances. It was a few years ago where just the Lord shifted my perspective on this. Um, We were in a time of genuinely quite stressful financial strain. (laughs) And we didn't have the answers. And we didn't know how this was going to work together. And we were asking all those questions. And we were praying. And I did what I often do. And I was often up in the night and chewing it over and trying to think it through. And thinking I just want it to be easy. Um, God, I want you to answer this quickly so I don't feel anxious anymore. And um, one night I sat there in prayer while everyone else was asleep and I was awake feeling anxious. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just whispered something to me that totally changed how I saw this. I felt like he said, Chris, this is not lack. This is adventure. You view this as a problem that's going to rattle your sense of security or it's going to show that I'm not going to be there for you. What if this exact place where you feel like you're standing on the water and you're not sure if it's going to hold you up or you're going to fall right through it, what if this exact place is an adventure where I want to take you deeper into my heart? I think the Father wants to reframe finances for his church in this moment, in a moment of national lack, in a moment of international lack, in a moment where the world's narrative is fear, pull back, restrain, tighten our belts, be frugal, be fearful. When everything we read and hear and think about is fear and pull back, I think the father wants to say, that is not how I look at my children. And I don't want my children to live in the fear of frugality, but to live in the confident expectation that I am their father. Look at the birds of the air. They're not freaking out about not having enough to eat. Your father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. They are more beautifully adorned than even King Solomon himself. God does not need our money, but he dearly wants our hearts. He dearly wants our hearts. When we come to the question of simplicity (laughs) in our finances, this is where we come back to. This is where we come back to. It's a beautiful invitation that Jesus puts before a people who are obsessed with more and who are terrified with lack to say, what about? What about rather than inhabiting either place, what about changing your solution from I need to have more to actually, I just want to abide more deeply in the knowledge of the Father. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's stand together. And I want to just name to us, shake your shoulders, shake your arms, chill. Because often what happens in this is we start to start to then feel fearful and think God's going to demand something of me that feels horrible. He's going to do something mean to me. He's going to take all my stuff away. And I'm not going to be able to buy my Friday night beer or my artisan sourdough (laughs) or my subscription to Netflix or whatever it is that we prize. He is not out there in this to look to take away good things from us. But we're just going to return just to the simple, basic knowledge. He is good. And whatever his invitation into us here individually and corporately is, it is an invitation deeper into the fact that he loves you. His agenda with you in this will not be for your misery, but will be for your freedom. He is so good. And so we're going to pray, and we're going to listen. And want I want each one of us to do is to just, where our hands and our hearts feel like they're kind of tightly clinging on and afraid, I want us to just breathe, relax, and open. And just say, Lord, you might ask me to go like half a centimetre, down a road that's 100 miles long today. Okay, but I want to go that half centimeter because that's where it starts. We always have a choice when we're confronted with his word. Do we stay still or do we go a little bit further? Some of us, you might say, come recklessly, radically further. If he does, try it. It's the worst that can happen. (laughs) I want to pray for us. And then we're going to be still. And I just want us to wait and just hold that before him. This is between you and him. It's between me and him. But Holy Spirit, I want to just pray now, Father, upon each one of us, that you just guard our hearts in the knowledge of freedom. I think you hate it when we make this religious. I think you hate it when we feel like we have to do something. God loves a cheerful giver. And the one who gives should give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Lord, would you shatter the compulsions of our heart? Would you shatter the idolatrous ideas of, of fear and slavery? And Father, would you just gently, gently move in by the presence of your Holy Spirit within us? And we want to pray, Father. We want to pray for our own hearts and our own souls that you would soften and that you would lead, that you'd lead us to be a people who do not think with the financial metrics of the world, you don't live with poverty-mindedness or stinginess or hoarding. But Lord, you would build us to be a people who are deep in the things of trust, not because our bank balances are overflowing, but Father, because you are good. Holy Spirit, we want to ask you to come now and relaxed and chilling out about the whole money thing, which we're not very good at if we're British. Um, <laughs> We just want to say, Spirit of God, just come and teach us. And I just, I just challenge every one of us. Just see what he brings up in your heart and your mind. Don't say, God doesn't speak to me. Of course he does. He does. We're just learning to listen to him better. What does he bring up? What's he showing us?